Welcome Builders from Lakeland, Florida. This is the Build Your Success Leadership Podcast with your host, Brian Brogen. We're going to empower and equip you to build yourself and then build others. Now, let's build up with your host, Brian Brogen. Welcome, Builders. Thank you for listening to the Build Your Success Podcast. Today is April 14th, 2020. We are all toiling through the COVID-19 pandemic. I hope you have found opportunities to be productive and to utilize this time to improve yourself and improve others during these unusual times. We are in this together. You know, if I can help you in any way, please reach out to me at any time. My email address is brianb at buildcs.net. So with that, let's get this episode started. I, I would like to welcome Rick Morris as our guest today for episode 43. Rick is a certified Scrum Agile Master, human behavior consultant, best-selling author, mentor, and evangelist for valuing people. He's an accomplished project manager and public speaker. He has a huge bio, so I'm going to just kind of make it brief here. And we'll let him tell you some more about himself. But he's also a fellow John Maxwell team member. Rick, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Oh, fantastic to, to be here, Brian. Thank you for the offer. Yeah, so uh, why don't you tell our, because you do have such a, a, a very diverse bio, just give our, our listeners some little feedback about Rick. Yeah, I've, I've lived a blessed life, but, you know, I'm not, we all have our own hardships. We all have our things that we go through, and I've certainly had mine. But uh, I grew up in Orlando, Florida. I was a, a kid of the kingdom for Walt Disney World at 11 years old, so I got to dance on Cinderella's Castle. Um, I leveraged that into then uh, at 17, I was working with the new Mickey Mouse Club. So, of course, yeah, everybody knows Justin and Brittany and Christina and all of them that came from the Mickey Mouse Club. But there was there was really five seasons before that, before Justin and Christina and Brittany ever showed up. And so I really, I was a couple of years older than the kids, but still roughly the same age and uh, became really good friends with them. Um, and then at 19, lost my father. And so I blew out of Orlando and, and just kind of started my own journey. And it was pretty self-destructive in the beginning, uh, but landed in Birmingham, Alabama. I was managing restaurants and moved me here and then uh, started to get back into the IT space and became a project manager. So I've got this weird background of entertainment. Um, we still work with a lot of the entertainment people. I was a, uh, the project manager for the all-new Mickey Mouse Club 30-year reunion that was uh, in Orlando. I was the executive producer of that, as well as being a, a consultant and IT guy. So <laughs> kind of kind of diverse and a lot of stuff going on. But uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that that's just is very, as you stated, a unique uh, bio and very diverse. The one thing that I highlighted here is this evangelist for valuing people. And I can tell from your background the reason you value people. You've been, I guess, exposed to so many different types of people. So tell me about being the evangelist for valuing people. Yeah, it, I've been been called the evangelist of project management for a long time. But really, the reason why I, I've always loved project management is the people. It's, it's a highly communicative uh, type of profession. And I get to work with all different types. And my career didn't really take off until I understood DISC. Um, I started teaching DISC probably uh, in 2002. It was in my, my first book that I wrote in 2008. 
but I really credit my success in understanding people and how to communicate with them. And so that's where it morphed into the evangelist of, of valuing people. Of course, working with John as, as closely as we get to, um, I've been able to, to, you know, do the country transformation trips with him. And uh, it's just made such a huge impact on my life that I want people to know that we should be valuing people every day. When he says love people every day, value people every day. I mean, he means it and walks that walk. And, and once I started to follow those footsteps, I, I definitely saw a change in my life. So you mentioned the uh, going to other countries and helping John. You know, I haven't had the privilege to do that yet, but I, I really am enthusiastic about having that opportunity one day. T- tell our listeners about what you do to transform these other countries, how this team goes in. Just give us a brief description of that. Absolutely. So it, it started with John's Equip uh, initiative, which he wanted to train church leaders in every country of the world. And they started getting to about, uh, where they had like 90, 95%, but now you're thinking of countries like Yemen and Iraq and places that were difficult. But Equip actually accomplished that. They they were the first organization to, to train church leaders in every single country on this planet. And so everybody that was part of Equip were kind of high-fiving each other. And, and John just said, you know, I'm, I'm not done. He has a very famous quote that came out of that where he says, you know, I'd rather try uh, to do something, you know, bigger than me than live without trying at all, right? So he started to think about country transformations. And if you've ever read uh, uh, 15 uh, Laws of Growth, 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth, in one of the chapters he talks about a friend of his that owns uh, Global Priority Solutions, which does roundtable value-based sessions. And so they married that theory with country transformation. So long story short, the president of the country has to invite John, and we have to have all seven streams of influence lined up. So you're looking at, you know, church, media, business, um, arts, uh, education, government, all, all of those uh, streams need to be lined up. And then they send in a, a group ahead of us that get translators trained up, get, you know, everybody signed up to go. And about a hundred of us all hit the, the country and we'll train up to, I think we did, um, 27,000 people in Costa Rica in three days and trained them to be facilitators of roundtables. And for them to get that training, they had to have already signed up and agreed to host a roundtable for five to eight people. So you can see how quickly that can replicate. The thought pattern around it is if we can get people discussing values, universal values, we're talking about like listening and empathy and forgiveness, um, attitude, things like that, uh, that we could see a social and economic change uh, for the country. So the first one uh, that we did was Guatemala um, already and then Paraguay. And already in both of those countries, these leadership values that, that John has been teaching are now going to be taught to every single uh, school-age child in those countries. So they're now doing leadership training in the countries for these. In Costa Rica, uh, the people were just so hungry for it. It was it was amazing, and and it was it was really weird for me, Brian, because I'm in Costa Rica. Everybody was just beautiful there. We just had some beautiful moments. I mean, it's very touching. It's, it's life altering and changing to do it. But when I came back, I had a a, a consulting gig with a very large organization here in the United States, and before I'd left, I'd suggested that we do disk profiles for all their executives so we could learn to start building some better reports and communicate better as a team. 
So I go to Costa Rica. These people are inviting you into their homes, into their churches, into their businesses, into the government in talking about values. I come back to the States and I'm met with a uh, cease and desist order from the, the company that they don't want me to have that information. And I was like, you don't want me to know just how you communicate, <laughs> like what your style of communication is. Should I be wordy? Should I not be wordy? <laughs> Should I be to the point? Should I bring facts? Like, I don't understand why that's, you know, hidden information from the executives. But culturally, that was just such a, uh, a smack in the face to come from one country who was really just hungry for it back to ours where people don't even want to know how to, how you communicate. It was, it was interesting. Yeah, and I would say all the legal influence we have in our country sometimes hinders our ability to lead. I mean, it's, it's just sometimes we get our own hands tied to, to do the right thing. Yeah, those are some great things that you have been a part of doing in those other countries and John has, has been a part of. The, the transformation and hearing, you know, we, in project management, we talk about inputs and outputs and the, the outcome of the job and, and project and and the outcome that, that you have seen from that input is just amazing. And, and thank kudos to all those that, that volunteered their time, including you, Rick, that do that. Thank you for doing that. So, so let's uh, let's talk about, you know, you mentioned your dad dying at 19 years old. And here in your application, you talk about overcoming near bankruptcy in 2014. These pivotal trials in your life that, that just helped you to make some decisions and, and, and make some transformations. Let's talk about a little bit of that. Yeah, my dad was such a, a big thing. So he, my dad started a, a software company in um, the early 70s. They were one of the first to automate an insurance claim on a AS400 RPG2, big IBM mainframe. Um, and so he was a project manager. And uh, his dream was he had two other business partners that started this company. They each had sons. Their dreams were that the sons would take over the business. And, you know, I was in entertainment, radio, intelligent broadcasting, and I was like, there's no possible, no way that I'm going to go into computers, be project manager, or any of that kind of stuff. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer on my 18th birthday. Um, and, uh, or, yeah, on my 18th birthday and passed before I was 20. Um and so at 19, I just blew town. Like I, I didn't know what to do. And, and one of the compelling things that, that really sticks with me is my mom chose this song, um, If Tomorrow Never Comes, to play at his funeral. And I was just furious. I mean, I was just a fueled up, you know, 19-year-old. I was angry. My dad was gone. Um, and I couldn't stand that song. Like, I couldn't believe that she would even play that song at the funeral because obviously tomorrow wasn't coming for, for my dad. And so... Uh, I just went up and, and I got into management of, of a restaurant chain called Bennigan's, which moved me all over the place. I lived in Nashville and Chattanooga and Aspen, several other places. Uh, but I was really just destructive to myself um, and was really just putting my life on pause while I was going through the motions. And back to my entertainment connection, I got an invite um, to go see a friend of mine who was playing, um, who, who was subbing in for the lead role of a play called Rent on Broadway. And so I went to go see my friend do this, do this show. And in the play, um, the play is about love and loss. It, I mean, it's a beautiful play. If you've never seen it, it's, it's 20 years old now. Um, but there's an affirmation that says, there's only us, there's only this. Forget regret or life is yours to miss. No other road, no other way, no day but today. 
And so it was re, I mean, it was just really mind blowing to me because I've been living as if tomorrow will never come versus living my life as no day but today. And so I remember going to my friend backstage after the show and I was like, I need to meet whoever wrote this. Like this guy had touched me like nobody's business. And he said, you can't. I said, what are you talking about? And so that led me to a story of Jonathan Larson who wrote Rent. He, his whole life, all he wanted to do was have a play on Broadway. And as Rent was um, getting more and more popular and, and it looked like they were going to open, um, the two things that Jonathan wanted in his life was to see an opening night of his play uh, on Broadway and get a good t- uh, review in the New York Times. Well, the night of dress rehearsal, they're going to open the next day. He gets interviewed by the New York Times, goes home that night, and his heart burst, and, and he passed away. Um, and he had something called uh, Marfan syndrome. And was feeling sick. Everybody just thought he was tired because of, of all the hours they put in. But he never got to see the play open. And as you start to listen to the lyrics and to all the words, he basically wrote his own eulogy. And I was just tremendously touched by this whole play and the, the whole affirmation of No Day But Today that I, I found my purpose. Like I've got to carry this forward. I have to take this forward. So I started to write the book. Um, I actually approached the family of Jonathan Larson. I put a business plan together to, to fund uh, Marfan Syndrome. Um, and I didn't get the rights that I was looking for uh, from the family. And it just kind of crushed me, and I put the dream aside. In 2014, uh, when I met up with the John Maxwell team, that was kind of my awakening to say it's time to bring the book out. And I dropped the book shortly thereafter. Wow, that's a that's an awesome story. So, for our listeners, you, you got you are the best selling author of, of this book. How can how can our listeners get a copy of this book? It's on Amazon, no day but today. Uh, there's companion guides as well, and we can go through it uh, a, a little bit. But what was interesting, I want to swing back to. I'd asked the family for the rights to the song. Uh, there's a song, no day but today, and. Um, when they said no, they, they didn't really say no. They just said, you know, the rights are going to be really impossible to unpack. And I took that as a no. It was an easy no, and I quit. Well, it turns out, um, again, just through uh, connections and everything else, uh, I own uh, the opportunity of a group called The Party, which was the first pop group ever signed to Hollywood Records, and they came out of the Mickey Mouse Club. And they wanted to get back together, and so I financed that project. And in doing so, learned a lot more about music rights and things that I ever had. And it turns out the family can't even grant me the right to use the song. You use a service called ASCAP, and I call them up and say, I want to use this song. I want to use it in this way. I'm going to play about 20 seconds of it. And they go, okay, well, every time you do it, you know, write us a check for 10 bucks. And so I will, I'll track that for a month and pay ASCAP, and then they make sure everybody gets their royalty payment the way they're supposed to. But uh, it was just interesting that, that I took such an easy no. Like, I, I didn't even do any research, so I wasn't ready. I, I wasn't ready for the book itself. Um, and, and it's because, I think, though, I hadn't gone through the near bankruptcy um, before I wrote it, right? It, it, I hadn't had the life experience that I felt like I needed to be able to really promote the book the way I should. And it's just funny how life kind of works out that way. Yeah, but the book that's... itself, go ahead. I was going to say that that's, you know, when opportunity comes being prepared, you, you had this title, you had this thought, but you weren't quite prepared for it. 
And then when, when life prepared you for it, you were, you were prepared with a title and, and something to go with and, and didn't take that no for an answer. So, so go ahead with what you were about to say, though, please. Yeah, so the book itself was really mirroring the skill set of a project manager to life. And, um, it, it funny, so you'll get this joke, and if most of the project managers will, but in project management, we do something called a work breakdown structure. And that's essentially taking a large idea and breaking it down into subcomponents until we can estimate the project. Well, I started creating life breakdown structure, and then um, the the acronyms for that is, is WBS and LBS, or work BS and life BS. And I was like, all right, well that works for me. <laughs> I can I can run with that. But essentially, it's applying a lot of those same concepts that I, I learned as a project manager of how to take these big ideas. Um, you know, I I had a project for um, GE. I got to work with Jack Welch to rewrite the whole billing engine of GE Capital. And I was such a young and dumb project manager. I don't know why they ever assigned that to me. But at the same time, the the ability to do that, um, that's a large project. And all the different components and areas that it touches, you've really got to have a methodology. Well, life is huge. And so I started to try to think about what are the lessons and things that I've done in, as a project manager and how do we apply that to, to life. And so the first thing, obviously, is your life plan, right? You've got to create your goals and, and what it is that you're trying to accomplish. But I wanted to take a different take at it because a lot of people will say, you know, I want the big house or I want the big car or I want this or whatever. And I like to reverse that a little bit, especially with the experience by Dan. And my question really is, how do you want to be remembered? You know, so imagine it's not a morbid thought, but we're all going to die. And imagine what you want people to say at your funeral about you. And what are you going to do today to advance that cause? That's the purpose behind the book. And so I have you think through each one of your stakeholders. So, for instance, you know, as a, as a male role, you could be a father, grandfather, son, brother, uncle, right? Your business owner, employee, husband. Um, and the female side, mother, grandmother, daughter, sister, aunt, you know, those types of things. But what are each one of the roles that you play in life? And then who are your stakeholders? And a stakeholder, uh, as defined by project management terms, is anybody who's positively or negatively impacted by the project. So if you're an aunt, you know, what are your, what are your nieces and nephews? You know, they're your stakeholders. And what I do is then ask people to, Think through words that you would want them to describe you. So I, I've sat down with my son and daughter, and I've picked a couple of words that mean a lot to me. One of the biggest ones is being present. And so I sat down with my kids and said, I want to be a present father. What does being present mean to you? And I was very surprised by the answers. Um, but it allowed them to define what present meant. So, for instance, my son loves something we call a man days. And it started because I travel a lot. And so when I was home over the weekend, I'd have to do a lot of errands and, you know, pay bills and, right, go to the post office, all those different things. And so I invited my son one day. I was like, hey, do you want to have a mandate? He goes, what's that? I said, well, we just go do a bunch of junk, right? <laughs> I said, that's got a lot of stuff on his list. He's got to get done. Just come hang out. But we would have lunch afterwards. And that was like his favorite time. It was just me and him. And we got to talk a whole lot, and he got to, to run a bunch of errands, but it was that, that personal time. For my daughter, it was playing a, a card game that my, my father taught me, and um, she just loved sitting there and playing play that game. And so I made sure that 
I, I made time each week to do that with the kids. And as they grow up, their, uh, their definition of what presence means changes. And so I continually update that with them. But if I want to be known as a present father, now I know what activities they want to do. Now I got to make sure that I'm putting time, um, intentional time in each one of my roles to advance the purpose of what I feel no day but today is. And I'll pause there. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great stuff, man. And I tell you, being present, I, uh, I, I too, I started scheduling time, you know, cause I tell people it's not on my schedule, it's probably not going to happen. And so I had to start, I have four children and, and hey, what do you want to do this month? And, and each one of them, I give them their, what do you want to do? And we need to make sure we focus on them and, and, and being present, you know, we've had several conversations on the podcast about work-life balance and how it's really a far-fetched idea where instead it's the quality we're spending in, in the moment, wherever, whatever we are present with, that's where we need to be focused on and showing our attention to. And you talk about you know, methodologies and strategies changed often, so you often have to adapt quickly. Applying principles of project management can absolutely apply to your personal life. So, and that's what we're talking about here: this personal life and 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 using our project management principles to have a better life, is the way I want to say it. So. What and, and and this book sounds like a great way to do some exercises to to realize these goals. So, thanks thanks for that. What other tools do you use? Yeah, when we were talking about methodologies, right? We, we look at disruptors, and I'm constantly looking at ways that we can constantly improve or disrupt our own lives. Uh, and when we talk about disruptors, for those in the audience that may not be familiar with the term, but that's your Ubers, your Airbnbs. Like, if you look at business, right, how does Marriott compete with people that don't own assets? Right? Uber and Airbnb are such great examples in the sense that they have this multi-million, you know, million, if not billion-dollar uh, company now that really owns zero assets. They don't have to pay for the upkeep of the home, pay the upkeep of the cars. Whereas traditional cab companies, right, they've got to maintain all the cars and licensing and all that kind of stuff. So it's brilliant. Um, and I think life is it's constantly changing that way. If, if As a project manager, you never really dealt with Agile. And now Agile has come out and it's really disrupted that whole profession. And only the people that can adapt and use the different language and, and still the same principles but different languages, they're the ones that are going to survive as we go through. And so... I think being a, being a disruptor, looking for disruptions and understanding how that's going to impact you. Um, but is it the, is it Einstein's quote that says, I can't solve tomorrow's problems with today's thinking? I believe that's an Einstein yeah. quote. Great, great quote, whoever it's attributed to, but I think it is Einstein. Yeah, exactly. We can't, I can't approach tomorrow the way I'm approaching today if I want to adapt and survive. And even, you know, we're talking about COVID-19. Um, and uh, I have a great friend, Chase Hampton, who does a beautiful speech on luck. And he says the only thing about luck that you can't deal with is is timing. But luck is where preparation meets opportunity um, so that when the time is there, you're prepared for it. Well, for me, I've been working on an online community for months that we just launched March 1st, <laughs> monetized April 1st. So while now everybody's trying to scramble and generate new sources of revenue, we were ready and we were moving um, in that direction. 
it's just interesting to me to, you know, that we've always got to be looking at what tomorrow may bring so that we can prepare for it today and be ready. And that's all a project manager does is assess risk, look at options, come up with multiple different ways so that when something happens, you can pivot. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people complain about people shooting from the hip, but, but if you're prepared and you're ready, uh, you've had this training, you've had this experience, you have this knowledge base, sometimes you're ready to shoot from the hip. You're ready to make it happen. And uh, so that would well, be an agile. I love the statement. I love the statement, though, uh, um, overnight success. Yeah. That, that's always a big one. Right? John said, you know, he worked for 20 years to be an overnight success. But somebody just asked me, um, I just started what's called the PM Tribe. Uh, so it's a project management tribe, but the PM Tribe online. There's six of us that have been speakers for the last 20 years, you know, around, around the world. Um, and it, it, it's modeled after JMT. We've got faculty, we, you know, we're, we're doing lanes of learning specific to the project management industry. But, uh, I started, um, that online platform about a year ago, but it was under my name. And it didn't, it didn't go well. I tried it, it didn't work. Uh, and actually was meeting with Paul Martinelli, uh, who you know, the audience, he's the, he's really the founder of the John Maxwell team. He's the one that made it all happen, um, in terms of how the team operates. And so I was, I was asking him questions about why my community wasn't growing the way I'd hoped. Um, I had a lot of fans, but I just didn't have a lot of people that were engaging in this community. And he goes, well, there's two big things you want to avoid in a community. He goes, you don't want to name a community after a person. So, um, you know, unless you're a John Maxwell, right? Um, but you don't want to name a community after a person. And you want to make it super easy for them to come in, super easy for them to leave, and super easy for them to reengage. So you don't want to do any kind of like monthly fee. And at the time, it was the Rick Morris mentorship program at $25 a month. And I was like, so, Paul, what you're saying is that, the whole approach is just stupid and wrong. Got it. Um, and so I, I started to, to branch out and start looking at who, who else could I involve in this community? What other voices could I get? And all that hit me in January. And again, it took us two months to launch and off we were going. So people are now coming to me and saying, wow, you know, you must have seen this coming. How fast? You know, I can't believe you launched the community so fast. And I was like, really? It's been like a year and a half in the making, right? It just right. happened to come at this time. But I've been working towards this and trying to do stuff towards this for quite some time. Yeah, and I like to say small steps lead to big results. And, and just being a, a creature of habit and, and just keep pressing on, you may not even see the success in, in the near future. But, but keep working towards that goal and making steps towards it. That That's good stuff. Well, listen, we are here at about 20, 25 minutes, and uh, I've appreciated everything you've shared with our listeners. I want you to tell them how to, how to become a part of this PN tribe for the project managers like myself and you, our fellow project managers. How can they become a member of the PM tribe? Absolutely. You go to the pmtribe.com, uh, and you just sign up there. We're giving a, a month away uh, free right now, so you can join us at at no risk for a month, just to see what the tribe is like. Um, we have six weekly calls. Uh, so there's myself on Wednesdays. I talk about uh, agile blending Agile and PPM methodologies together in the program portfolio layer. We've got the great Colin Ellis, a uh, dear friend of mine out of Australia, who talks about uh, culture change. We've got Elena Hill out of Houston. She talks about change management. John Stenbeck, who is, who's been a great friend and a mentor to me for quite some time. 
he uh, he does you know, pure agile and, and how to scale agile in an organization. We've got Peter Taylor from the United Kingdom. He does the Lazy Project Manager about really working smarter. And then Elizabeth Heron, uh, she's also out of the UK, but she's uh, been a she she owns a blog called uh, the Girls Guide to PM, uh, which is wildly popular. It's always one of the top ten project management blogs um, out there every year. Uh, and she she talks about um, just again um, how to how to work better, how to improve your your project management processes. So there's a call every single week by the six of us, and um, we record those. So if you miss it, you get a chance to, to join in. But the bigger thing is. We wanted to build a community that could solve issues instead of just, you know, teachers that were throwing, you know, high level content at you like what would happen at a PMI chapter. And no offense to PMI by any means, but you can't get into the nitty gritty with each individual person at a PMI chapter event. Well, here you can. We want to be able to ask direct questions and provide direct advice on the project management problems that are happening today. And that's why we created a community. That sounds like a wonderful group. I'll be sure to look into joining that. that. That's awesome. And then what other, I know you got a few more books, and then tell us how we can get in contact with you online. Any, any, yeah, so for me, it's media. rick at rickamorris.com. Um, you can find me on all social media. So uh, on Facebook, is Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, everything is Rick A. Morris. Um, and uh, books, the big ones have been Project Management That Works, Stop Playing Games, and No Day But Today are, are my big three that are out there. Um, I also host a weekly live radio show called Work-Life Balance uh, that's on the Voice America Business Network. And then you can also hear me uh, as the chief interviewer for the Transformational Leader Podcast, which is John Maxwell's uh, podcast. I mean, that's great, and I appreciate what you're doing there, man. you got a lot going on. Like most leaders, you know, you're not sitting still, so that's great. For our listeners, listen, I'll put all that information in the description of the podcast. So if for some reason you're traveling or didn't get a chance to write those things down, they'll be in the description. Do me a favor. Whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on, go give us an honest rating and review. Tell us how we can do better. And then if you want to be a guest on the podcast, visit our website, www.buildcs.net. We've got a podcast tab there, and it's got an application. You can fill that out and tell me what you want to talk about. We'll review that and decide if you make sense for our podcast. If you know someone else, you can recommend someone via that same application and tell us why you think they should be on the podcast. We want to help you build yourself so you can build others. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Want to learn how to build yourself and build your team? Visit www.buildcs.net and learn about Brian's programs, special offers, and more. Build yourself and then build others.